Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. So this week to start off our book of Haggai, we're going to be reading Haggai 1, chapters 1 through 15, so you can follow along in your Bibles or on your phones. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak. Dang it. Um, the high priest, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. The people, the people are saying, sorry guys, I lost my place. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not come yet to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of the Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you are not satisfied. You drink, but you are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of the Heaven's Army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up in the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it is because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees, and all of your crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock, and to ruin you, ruin everything you have worked hard to get. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the son of the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom their Lord God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's message, the Lord's messenger gave people this message from the Lord. I'm with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God in the, in the Lord's heaven's armies on September 21st of the second year of King Darius's reign, and this is the word of the Lord. Man, she deserves a prize for that. Holy moly. Uh, she told me before service she was doing her homework. She, she pulled up YouTube on how to pronounce those names. So well done, Chloe. Uh, that, that, yeah, uh, I, I threw you a curveball there, so good job. Uh, as we are looking at the book of Haggai, this is in the Old Testament. He is considered a prophet of the Old Testament. And in this entire book, you have the people of Israel uh, are challenged to rebuild the temple. And they've, uh, they've struggled to stay motivated, right? Kind of like some of us going back to the gym. It's just like, oh, do I want to? They're not motivated to build the temple. And, and as we look at this, the, this book this year, or the, these next four weeks, 
we're not talking about building a building or a structure or a place. This is not a building campaign sermon series. This is about building the people of God, that people are considered God's temple. And so this next four weeks is talking about how do we stay inspired to stay the course in investing our lives into building Jesus' church, which is people, not things. And so as we talk about this, I want to just throw this question out to get us started. What does it mean to build God's kingdom? What a big churchy question. What does it mean to build God's kingdom, to build God's people? Okay, we're shouting out answers. All right, fellowship. Right? Yeah. All right. How do we build the kingdom? Right? And, and I, I, I would think about it in two, two facets and two components, and then, and then we'll, we'll shout it out. Uh, one is creating new disciples. Building the church involves creating new disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples, right? Go make new disciples. Go reach unchurched people, evangelism, outreach, uh, getting out and, and bringing the gospel of Jesus to unchurched people or de-churched people, people that used to be in church and are like, mm, not for me anymore, right? There are those people out there as well. Well, when we bring the gospel to them, we are building God's kingdom. We're expanding his family because we're bringing in and creating new disciples. Now, how do we make new disciples? What? Training. Training. Okay. That's going to go into the next part about developing disciples. How do we reach new people? How do you get people that aren't in this room right now? Let me ask you that question. How do you build the kingdom by reaching people that aren't in this room? Dairy, dairy, dairy. Dairy, dairy, dairy. Sign up for the planning team. Eddie, bonus points for Jesus. No, yes. Why do we go out of our walls for Berry Dairy Days? It's to reach people. It's to show them that we are a church that gets out of our walls because we want to make new disciples, not just develop the ones that are in the room. That is a component of it that we're going to talk about in two seconds. But reaching new disciples, what else? Building relationships, right? If all of your friends are Christians, you gotta pop that bubble. You're in a bubble. You gotta find unchurched people. Jesus hung around unchurched people. He hung around de-churched people. We've gotta make new friends. Not to get rid of the current Christian friends. Don't dismiss all your Christians. What else? How do we make new disciples? What made you a disciple? Inviting people to church, right? Our building is not on Burlington Boulevard. There are many people that will show up and they're like, I never knew you were here. How long have you lived in Burlington? 40 years. What? <laughs> we're the oldest building in Burlington that's been a church. We're a 100-year-old building of church. Uh, building of church. Church building. <laughs> but we gotta invite people. How do you make new, people, make new disciples? You go invite them. You build friendships. What else? Real quick. Somebody was praying for you. Somebody was praying for you. Yeah. Praying that we can go reach new disciples, build the kingdom, and make new followers of Jesus, right? The other component of this is not just new disciples, but developing the current disciples, right? That would be us in the room, people that have said yes to following Jesus. Now, I don't want to assume that everybody in the room has said yes to following Jesus. So you might feel like, hey, I'm a new disciple, and I'm, I'm checking things out. But a developing disciple is somebody that said, yeah, I'm following Jesus, but I don't have it all figured out. Peter said yes to following Jesus, but he had a long way to go in his development. He continued to mature and to grow and to be strengthened and, and, and understand his faith 
and knowledge of the kingdom of God and his experiences. And that's the other part of this, is how do you build the kingdom by developing current disciples? What do we do? Watering seeds. What does that mean? How? How do we water the seeds that have been planted? Mentorship. Encouraging people. Reading the Bible with people. Life groups with people. Fellowship with people. Training. Somebody shouted training earlier, right? Having classes or trainings or understanding, growing. Serving. How many of us grow to develop as a Jesus person when we start serving somebody else and putting them first? When we start giving, when we start, what? Worshiping. Yeah. We start reading parts of our Bible that we never touch, like Haggai. <laughs> yeah. But it's about developing disciples. It's about reaching new disciples, but developing disciples. That's building the kingdom. So it's not just one or the other. It's a combination of all of these things, and they happen individually, but they also happen collectively. So as we talk about this, it's about you developing as a disciple, but it's also about building the kingdom of God. And we get to participate in God's plan to bring wholeness to this world. We get to participate in that. That's the beauty of God's kingdom and God's time here on earth and, and what he established for us as a mission is go participate in bringing wholeness to humanity, both inside and outside of the church. And this is ongoing and it's fulfilling internally, right? It's, oh, it feels so good to do the right thing and to help somebody find Jesus. It, it is empowering to know that God believes in us. Oh, man, I'm not just a drop in the bucket. Like, I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's empowering. I, I'm amazed to know that our efforts in building the kingdom affect eternity, and not just today. It's affecting eternity. It's life-changing here on earth as well. The gospel changes our lives both for eternity but also for today. Who's in favor of that building project? One person. <laughs> Hallelujah. I see that hand. Everyone is. We just don't want to raise our hand right now. Everyone is in favor of that building project. Bringing wholeness to humanity, the wholeness of Jesus to humanity. Everyone's in favor of that building project. Again, we're not talking about a new church building structure. We're not talking at that season right now. We're talking about building the kingdom of God, the family of God, God's people being built up and equipped and edified. Is anyone opposed to that? No. But are we living like that as our mission critical? Are we living this week like it's our top priority to build God's kingdom? Is it our chief purpose in life to expand God's kingdom and build and develop new disciples and develop the current disciples? Is that mission critical to us this week ahead? We say, yeah. Was it a mission critical last week? Not so much. And we feel that tension inside. It's like going to the dentist and they tell you to floss. You're like, I know I should. Sorry. But we don't. And then we sit in that tension this morning. I, I want you to sit in that tension. I know I should be doing this and developing new disciples and developing current disciples. That's, oh man, that's good stuff, Sean. I want to be a part of that. But I'm not doing it. And that's the same tension the people of Israel are living in when Haggai shows up on the scene. And he's got a message from God. And when he shows up, I want to give you a little background on Haggai. Because, again, this is a book of the Old Testament that we don't often spend a lot of time in. Now, around 586 B.C., so way back, right? Mr. Peabody takes us in the way back machine. 
and some of you get that reference. 586 BC, the Babylonians had conquered Jerusalem and taken the people of Israel uh, into exile, took them out of their homeland. They destroy the temple built by Solomon, who is David's son. It's just in ruins. 50 years later of being in exile, 50,000 Jews are released uh, and, and able to return back to their homeland there in Israel and, and rebuild the temple and the altar. But they build the foundation of the temple and they build the altar and then they stop. Due to outside pressure of that context and that community where they were at and the people that had taken over that land in that 50-year period, there was an outside pressure that, oh, this is going to be dangerous. This is going to be costly. And I don't know if I want to build this temple anymore. And they stopped the building project of the temple. And for 16 years, that foundation sat undeveloped. 16 years, a spiritual apathy begins to set into the people of Israel because for 16 years, think about how long 16 years ago. That was 2007. Like, that feels like an eternity. There's people in our church that didn't exist in 2007, right? And people that are married now that were like in elementary school. Like, it's just, it's crazy, right? I think about 16 years ago in 2007, I'm like, oh, wow. (laughs) I was a whole different person then. 16 years that foundation sat there undeveloped. And Haggai shows up and says, it's time to build. And he begins to expose the spiritual apathy that he is seeing there in verse 2. And Haggai 1, verse 2, it says, the people are saying, this is the cultural construct of their time. This is the excuse they're giving. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They're living under this impression that, ah, supposed to build right now. The cost is too great. The danger is too extreme. There's too much trouble, too much pressure. The social, uh, uh, we're getting canceled on Twitter. I don't know about this, guys. We can't do this. And how many of us do this with God? We give him our excuses. Yeah, God, I'd really get involved and I'd help with that, but yeah, I'd go and I'd, I'd share my faith with that person, but yeah, I would go do, um, but I need to do, and I need. The same thing happens today as it did thousands of years ago. We give God our excuses and our justifications for saying, nah, not right now. In case, in their case, it was building a building. In our case, it's about building up the people of God and reaching new people and developing the current disciples. What's interesting is the, uh, the New Living Translation that we read doesn't give this nuance, but the New International Version does. The New International says, these people, not the people. These people. These people. So often in the Old Testament, God referred to the people of Israel as my people, my children, my family. And in this moment, God is using Haggai to bring a message, and God says, these people. What does that show us? It's just this small nuance of relationship change that for 16 years they've neglected God and something's changed. He's talking about them different and we see that in the verbiage. What's causing this spiritual apathy within these people? Verse three and four. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious homes while my house lies in ruins? Haggai's pointing out this discrepancy. 
They look at their homes and they're polished and they're finished and they're nicely decorated and luxurious. They've got walls and ceilings and garments hanging on the walls and they've got all these great things and rugs and whatever, right? Joanna Gaines has gone full tilt on those homes. And then they look at God's house and imagine a stone foundation that has been sitting for 16 years. Some of us have had projects around our house sitting for a while, but not for 16 years, right? Well, okay, well, in full honesty here, okay, as someone nudges their spouse. I remember our laundry room was down to the studs for, what, six months? A year, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's not a sight you want to look at. It is, it, it, and you just kind of, oh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We've got justifications. We've got excuses. We're not going to give it the attention right now. That's what the people of Israel have been doing. They've been looking at that foundation. Well, we'll get to it later. We'll get to it later. And Haggai points out through the message of the Lord to say, look at the difference here, guys. You've had all the energy, resource, time, and influence under your homes, and yet the house of God is in shambles. It is a foundation with no walls and nothing completed, nothing done. It's overgrown with foliage, chipped away. And then he asked this question, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? In verse 6, you've planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. How's that working for you? You got this great house, 60 inches of LED perfection. You've got nice draperies and painted walls and all of these things. God's house is in shambles. How's that working for you? You ever feel the same feelings that he's talking about where you've been busy, but you still feel spiritually empty. You've been consumed, but you feel like you're spiritually lacking something, spiritually wandering, spiritually disconnected, spiritually unsatisfied. That's what he's getting at. You've been feasting, but you're still hungry. You've been indulging, but you're still lacking. No matter how busy and busy and busy and busy you get, you still feel empty incomplete, confused, spiritually thirsty. And, and I would venture to guess that some of us can relate to those feelings. You ever wonder why? If we're stopped to think that maybe it's our choices that are creating that feeling, we want to blame God or we want to blame the pastor, we want to blame somebody else, we want to blame culture. Have we ever looked at ourselves and, and had that moment like Haggai's having with the Israelites and say, how's that going for you? What's going on? Open your eyes. Verse 5 and verse 7, he repeats this phrase, look at what's happening to you. Look at what's happening to you. We claim to not have enough time and money and, and calendar space and energy, but Haggai points to the people of Israel and he says, it's time to reevaluate. I think we've misappropriated our focus. I think we need to reprioritize our life and begin building the temple, because building the temple was symbolic of their devotion to God. 
It wasn't gonna earn God's love, but it was symbolic to say, God is important to me, and I am going to put this first. Jesus kind of gets towards that idea of reprioritizing our lives, just like Haggai's doing. He's like, man, we gotta change things up, guys. You're doing all of this, and, and how's that working for you? Jesus says the same thing when he says, store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will also be. Jesus is bluntly asking, where's your time? Think about your week, okay? Don't, don't shout out your answers, but just think for yourselves rhetorically. Where'd your time go this week? Where'd your money go? Where'd your focus go? That's where your heart is, and that's where your God is. It's what Haggai's telling Israel. It's what Jesus tells his listeners. I heard a pastor say one time, he said, Look at your calendar and your bank statement. You'll find your God. That's what Jesus is saying. Wherever your heart is, there's your God. And, and, and it's important for us to evaluate this just like the people of Israel. Look at what's happening to you. And I want to illustrate this with a very classic illustration. I'm sure some of you are familiar with this from uh, Stephen Covey, who has highly productive books and all of this. Uh, so I'm totally plagiarizing here, but some of you, this is your first time seeing or hearing this, and you're going to think I'm a genius, so let's roll with that too. But this illustration is going to show us how we prioritize our life, and that each of these elements, we've got sand and small pebbles and small rocks, medium rocks and large rocks, and, and each of them is a different size, but it's, it's illustrating the the varying value that we have in, in things in our life. And so there are things that we prioritize that have very little value or addition or, or, or add value to our lives, but man, oh man, we build our life on it. We prioritize it. And so this bucket is our life and, and everything that it is, and we build our life on some things that, you know, the sand would represent those, those insignificant things that don't add a ton of value, but we spend time doing them, right? And it's going to be different from person to person, okay? So for me, social media is right there. It doesn't add anything to my life. I don't need it. For some of you, you're like, I love social media, Sean, and that is very valuable and important to me. Some of you work where that's important, but not for me. Uh, fantasy football. Oh, I love fantasy football. Does it add anything? No, because I always lose, right? <laughs> I got all these things. Uh, when we download a new app and we've got to continue to beat those stupid levels and get high scores and just keep going and going and think about the various things that are represented by that sand, those small things in our life that don't necessarily add value, they don't add uh, to eternity, they don't make me follow Jesus more, but I am consumed by them and I build my life on them. Then you've got smaller things uh, or things that are a little bit more valuable, but, but still, we prioritize and we make time for it. Entertainment, right? Man, oh man, why am I paying for Disney Plus if I'm not going to watch it? So I've got I've to watch it. And maybe there's hobbies and interests that you have. I love cycling and going on bikes. I love watching football. Yeah, Super Bowl Sunday, right? And I'm going to consume my life based on these things that might add a little more value and justification. Youth sports, I love coaching all of these things, they add value to my life, but it's much more valuable than social media, yeah? And you gotta think for yourself, what are those small pebbles? And, and I'm going to prioritize, I'm gonna make those things important. 
in my life, right? Home projects like laundry room renovations, those are important, those are things, but they don't necessarily add to my eternity, but they're things that are important and they're much more important than getting the new high score on Angry Birds, right? And then we've got other things in here, career, we've got finances, we've got our physical and emotional health. These are things that are, these are valuable, these are really important, right? But my career is not going to determine my eternity. My career is not always going to add to me being more like Jesus, but it is valuable. It's much more valuable than my Facebook account. And I'm going to prioritize those things as I rank them. Now we get to the most... Forget it. It's not that important. (laughs) Then we add some more things to our life. Larger rocks. And these are less things and these are more people, right? Friends, kids, wife or spouse, right? Notice I didn't pick the small rock, right? Because you're highly valuable to me. (laughs) We prioritize our family. We make those things important. Oftentimes, we're prioritizing and we're viewing our life and making these things important, but the way we're consuming them and the way we're building our life is we're not putting them in the order. And then by the time we get to this final one, and and as your pastor, I would believe that the most important rock in our life, I'll give you one guess, your pastor. (laughs) No, it is Jesus, yes. And we build our life on Jesus, but unfortunately, he doesn't fit because I've put him last. I've prioritized him last. And this is what Haggai is calling out in the people of Israel. You have built your luxurious homes. You've played all your apps. You've worked on your projects. You've gotten your draperies in order. You're building your families. You're planting your gardens. You're doing all these things. You're getting your job in order. That's great. But your devotion to God is so last priority to you, it doesn't fit. I don't have time. I don't have time to do that. I don't have time to serve. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to do this. I'm too tired to read my Bible now. And we build our lives in this manner, and God is is trying to shake up the people of Israel. Haggai is pointing these things out to be catalytic in their lives and say something has to change. We cannot continue to live in this current pattern and this current prioritization of the things that we hold valuable. We say that Jesus matters to us, but we never have time for him. We don't spend our time and our resource and our lives built around Jesus. We spend it on other things. And then we look at our life, and much like Haggai's calling out, how's that working for you? How fulfilled do you feel? And so Haggai says in verse 8, now go up into the hills, bring down the timber, and rebuild my house. Shake it up. Change things up. Jesus says, in Mark, or excuse me, Matthew 6.33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything else. Fun fact, in the ancient Latin language, which Jesus didn't speak Latin, but in the Latin language, I learned this about priorities, the word priority is not made plural in Latin. It's priority. Because if it's a priority, it's the only thing. It might have something there in the old Latin. It wasn't priorities. You could only have one priority. 
This was the most important thing. If it's your priority, it's your priority. It's your most important thing. And you will structure your calendar, your resource, your lives around it. And so Haggai and Jesus, when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, says, we've got to shake things up. We've got to change this up. It's not going to work. We can't continue to do what we've done to get here. We've got to change it up. There's a bucket. You can't see it. I didn't just make a mess for our janitor. Right, But we've got to change things up and we've got to put first things first. We've got to make God's priorities our priorities. That's the point of today. Make God's priorities our priorities. Make him first. Clean it all out. What would you do first this week? Put Jesus first. Then you begin to build in those other things. Spouse, kids, friends, grandparents. They're a lower priority. Then spouse, come on now. Right? No offense to my grandparents. But we begin to build those things in. And then you begin to identify, okay, well, what's next important to me? And then I'm going to build that in. Yes, my job matters. My career, my calling matters. Yes. My relationships with people outside of the church, they matter to me. Right? We've got all of these things we've got to begin. My health matters. My physical health, my emotional health, my, all of that it matters. I begin to build those things in. Pause for dramatic effect. Right? But I'm still prioritizing. Those things still matter. But notice what's in there first. Jesus is my first priority. Everything else is going to shake out around him. Everything else is going to pivot and be formed around him. My relationships are formed around him. My career, my time, my calendar, my money, my finances, my security, my retirement, my hobbies, my interests, my coaching, all of these things that I value and I have a high value for for doing these things. And you fill in the blanks. You begin to identify what these rocks are for your life, right? Because my rocks are different than your rocks. My values are, are going to be somewhat different than yours. But if I'm saying Jesus is my number one, which as a Christ follower, that's what it is. When we say yes to Jesus, we're saying, Jesus, you're the big rock. You are not parsley on my steak. You are the steak, right? For those of you that like to eat. <clears throat> We begin to put those things and we put those other priorities in and they begin to fill in around our priorities. But you know what you're going to notice too? And this is where I don't like the uh, traditional illustration with Covey is they would get it to fit perfectly. They would take the same amount of resource and they would fill it in. And where I think it falls flat is that I'm going to have to make decisions and I won't have enough room. I'm sorry, I won't have enough room to play all the apps and games, to do fantasy football in the same way, to watch every TV show of Marvel's Phase 4. I just won't have time. But the things I'm going to not do aren't valuable to me anymore. They don't add to eternity. They don't add to my development as a disciple. They don't add to my family. They don't add to the kingdom of God and me building the kingdom of God. And I'm willing to sacrifice the MCU for the sake of Jesus rather than the reverse. And that's where I think the illustration that is so classic kind of falls flat is you're going to have to make sacrifices. You're going to have to make changes. And I'm sure I could shake this up and and squeeze in a little bit more. (laughs) 
But that's how we want to build our lives. And we've got to examine these things and identify these things for ourselves. What is the big rock for you? What are the smaller rocks and the medium rocks and the sand? You've got to identify those things. And begin to build your life around Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then Haggai gives this challenge. The people of Israel respond. You know how they respond? They don't respond with, oh, but God, that's going to be tough, and that's going to be difficult, and I, here's an excuse for that, and here's a reason I can't, I need balance, I need, I need a little bit of this. And a little. They respond with enthusiasm, obedience, and reverence. You read that scripture, you're going to see they feared the Lord, meaning they honored him. They obeyed him, and they had an enthusiasm that was infectious in their community. People got excited to say yes to following God. And then it ends with this or right smack in the middle, excuse me, in verse 13, I just want to end with this idea that as we prioritize, there is a promise. Priorities with a promise. God hits them with a promise to hang on to. And it's this in verse 13. Then Haggai gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you. And I find such, uh, such depth in that Little tiny statement, I am with you, says the Lord. One is, I find this reassurance in the promise. There's a reassurance to take that step of action because whatever my excuses are for not being obedient, or for not saying yes, for not beginning to build the people of God or build the temple, take that next step, well, I have no reason to worry about failing. What if I look foolish? What if I don't know what to say? What if it's tough? What if it's costly? God says, don't worry, I am with you. Yeah, but God, what about, don't worry, I'm with you. But God, I'm gonna have to give some things up. Don't worry, I am with you. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? The people of Israel were worried about building the temple and what could cost them or what could happen to them or the pressure that they would feel. And God says right in the middle of that, don't worry, I am with you. The other facet to this is that God is with us in the journey, not just in the destination. Think about that. He says, begin to build the temple, they begin to do it, and he says, I am with you. They hadn't built it yet. It wasn't done, and sometimes we view God. How many of us think of God this way? God will show up when I'm at the destination, when I'm finished, when I'm polished, when I'm good enough. He'll show up when the temple is built. Nope, he shows up when the first stone hits the foundation because God is with us in the journey, not just the destination. And some of us are saying, oh, but God's not, I'm not good enough, or I'm not this, and I'm not. Take that first step of obedience and watch how God shows up. Take that first step of building God's kingdom, whatever that means to you, because that's going to mean different things to different people in the room, right? Take that next step and watch how God shows up, because he's in the journey, not just the destination. And you see the shift in the relationship. Again, there's so many, so many tentacles and facets to this little tiny statement. There's a reassurance. There's, there's confidence that he's with us in the journey. There's a shift in the relationship. Earlier we said, these people. And now what does he say? I am with you. I'm with you. He doesn't say, I'm with these people. You, you, you feel this closeness. You feel this, this intimacy, this connection with God and his people. I am with you guys. I am for you. I am on your side. I'm in your corner. I am with you. And how many of us desire a closeness with God? 
We desire to feel God and his presence and his closeness and know that God is speaking to us and not just the pastor. God is speaking to us and not just the super spiritual people. I want to feel close to God. But if I'm not going to take any initiative in my relationship with God, how can I expect a vibrancy in my relationship with God? We're just expecting God to like part the heavens and like show up with a miracle. God, show up and teach me something amazing. Get my attention. And I'm... I'm reassured by this passage from Haggai to say, maybe there's some ownership that you and I need to take in our closeness with God. In James 4, it says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. There is something of a responsibility on the behalf of each person to say, I will take a step towards Jesus. I will learn to feed myself spiritually, not just be spoon-fed by someone else. I want to feel close to God. Well, I'm going to take a step towards God. And it's in that that we see, you know, the example of Jesus. What does he say? I'm knocking at the door. You going to answer it? There's, there's action. There's initiative. There's an invitation in. You've got to open that door. You've got to take that step towards him. You've got to move in that direction, and there's this shift because it's not just I'm with you. It's I'm with you in the midst of this journey, in the midst of this each brick you're putting down to rebuild the temple, and each step of devotion, each step of allegiance, each step of obedience, God is with you in that. And it's in the doing we discover our being. It's in the doing that we discover our being because it's in them saying, yes, let's go get the logs, let's go get the bricks, let's go do this, that they get this promise. And sometimes we're sitting like a boat in the marina waiting like, ah, when am I going to go out to sea? And God's saying, get out of the marina, get on the seas, and we'll chart the course. It's in the doing that we discover our being. It's in the building that we begin to discover, oh, God is with us. God loves us. We are his people. We find our identity. We find our passions. I didn't know I loved teaching until I started doing. It wasn't like I just sat here one day and I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to teach. I started just saying yes to Jesus, and he led me down this path. So it's in our doing we discover our being. We discover that closeness with God, that reassurance that he is with us, our callings, our passions, our, our desires, and we see the part that we play in building God's kingdom because we're all participants, not just me. Isn't that true? You need to believe that. That we are all participants in what God is building, not just the pastor, but all of us are. We all play a part in this. I want to close with this quote from Eugene Peterson. He was a he was a pastor, an author, and he, he, he loved nature, so he, he looked at some birds for a while, and he noticed the birds on the branches, and that. And this is what he says. I just want to close with this because it ties into this idea of discovering our relationship with God and the, and the depth and passion that we can discover. Birds have feet and can walk. Birds have talons and can grasp a branch securely. They can walk. They can cling. But flying is their characteristic action. And not until they fly are they living at their best, gracefully and beautifully. You ever think about that? Birds are meant to fly. Then he goes on from there. There are many things that we can pursue in life as human beings, but ultimately, 
It is the pursuit of the pleasure and glory of God that lies at the core of our being as those created in his image. It is the pursuit of the pleasure and glory of God that lies at the core of our being as those created in his image. We have the thumbprint of God on our lives. The only thing that's going to truly bring fulfillment is building his kingdom. It's not for what he can, it's not that he wants to use you, he wants to be with you. He wants to walk with you in this journey. He wants to develop you as, to be more in his image. That's where you're going to soar. That's where you're going to fly. That's where you'll discover who you are in the image of God. And so I believe this first week it is time for us to examine our lives and shake things up. Let's be people who make God's priorities our priorities. Amen? Let's pray. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com slash connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.